Good morning, friends. Uh, good to see you all here today. Um, uh, as you know, or as most of you will know, we are doing a uh, short series uh, looking at the values uh, in our church. And this week, we're looking at the value of faithful uh, Bible teaching. So it's uh, different from the usual uh, uh, expositions. Uh, it's more topical, uh, but we will be starting and spending most of our time in 2 Timothy. So if you want to get it ready, then to the, our Old Testament, our New Testament reading just now, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 14 onwards. It's a good place for you to have your Bible open too. There's also an outline uh, in the order of service, so uh, you might want to have that uh, as well. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, and we pray that you help us now as we uh, look at your word, uh, and we ask that you'll be speaking to our hearts, uh, that we might look to Jesus and love him and trust him uh, and obey him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the centrality of the gospel, uh, and we saw that the word gospel means good news, right? And it's good news that's all about Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is God's promised king. Uh, and this Christ, this Lord, has died for our sins in our place, taking the guilt and punishment that we deserved for us, so that God can forgive our sins without saying that the wrong things we've done is okay. And then he rose again, according to the scriptures, to show that he really is the one who God promised would bear our sins and reign as king forever. And we saw that if Jesus is the risen Lord, if he is king, then we must turn from living for ourselves and submit to him. If he died for our sins in our place, then we must rely on his sacrifice for our forgiveness. And so the proper response to the gospel is repentance and faith. There are many things that may commend the gospel to us, but in the end, it's only the spirit who enables us to truly believe. And so God's spirit is the one who changes our hearts to enable us to say, Jesus is our Lord. Now, if Jesus is our risen Lord, then he is the one who rules our lives. He is the one who tells us how to think about everything, including the scriptures that pointed us to him in the first place. And the Lord Jesus shows us that the scriptures are the very words of God. That's how he teaches us. He said he came to fulfill the Old Testament. He taught his death and resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. He quotes the words of Genesis 2.24 as those of the Creator. He quotes Exodus 3.6 with the words, Have you not read what God said to you? He quotes Psalm 110 verse 1 as David speaking by the Spirit. He regards the fifth commandment as the command of God as well as what Moses said. He rebuked those who did not know the Scriptures. And he called the scriptures the word of God and said they cannot be broken. And he trained his apostles, his authorized representatives, to think of them in the same way as well. And so Peter would later write that, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And not only did Jesus believe the Old Testament, but he also anticipated the New he promised that the same Spirit would lead the apostles into all the truth and bring to remembrance the things that he had taught them and reveal more things. 
Well, we believe the Bible is the word of God because Jesus is risen from the dead. He is Lord and he says so. The implications of this are expounded in our epistle reading for today. The Apostle Paul is writing here to his protege, Timothy. It's at the end of his life. He's passing on the baton, not as one apostle to the next apostle, because apostleship's not handed down, but he's passing the baton to the church leaders, or Timothy as a church leader of the next generation. And as he does, he shows us what should be the pattern of gospel ministry in the post-apostolic period, which is where we are now. He, and as he does that, what does he do? He encourages him in verse 14 to continue in what he has learned and firmly believed. He reminds him in verse 15 how from childhood he's been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Those sacred writings of the Old Testament. Right? From his childhood, through his mother, through his grandmother, he's been learning the Old Testament. And he says, look, the Old Testament actually speaks of the salvation we have in Christ. And then he says in verse 16, all scripture, right? So that's everything in the category of scripture, right? Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. Okay? Your breath carries your word, isn't it? Right? So the fact that the scriptures are breathed out by God means that they're the very words of God. Now, Paul's not saying anything new here. He's just echoing what Jesus already said. The Bible is the word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God as if the word of God is a message in the Bible that's mixed with a whole lot of other stuff. The Bible doesn't just become the word of God when the Spirit works it into my heart. Right, the Bible is the word of God, whether I believe it or not. Now that doesn't mean to say that God just dictated and then everything that's in the Bible is dictation, God speak, dictation, and people write down, just copy it down. No, no, no. You look at the Bible, you see it's got historical records, it's got psalms, which will start off as hymns or songs, it's got letters to different churches to solve problems, it's got eyewitness accounts of various events, it's got carefully researched and compiled books, and even this letter is obviously a, a letter from Paul to Timothy, not a, like a direct dictation. And the Bible's got many human authors. And as we read, we can see their various personalities, their situations, their ways of writing reflected in it. Right? So the, the fact that the Bible is the word of God doesn't mean it's all given by dictation. Right? God is bigger than that. No, no, he's bigger than that because he's sovereign over all these things. He planned all these things. Even the personalities, even the situations, the sources of the authors and how they put it together. So that in the end, what he's is written is exactly what he wants to be written. He is, after all, God. And so we can say, on the one hand, Scripture has multiple human authors. On the other hand, we can say it has one divine author, the Holy Spirit. In fact, when Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, it's God-breathed, right? the word for breath there is the same word for spirit. Um, uh, it, it, to say the Bible is God-breathed is to say the Bible is God-spirited. Right? Because God's spirit brings us God's word. And so you can't divorce word from spirit. You know, some people say, oh, this church is very good at word, this church is very good at spirit. No, no, I cannot. No. Right? Where God's word is truly at work, 
It's because God's Spirit is at work. Uh, and where God's Spirit is truly at work, God's Word is at work. Right? The Word is brought to us by the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit is the one who caused the Word to be written in the first place, isn't it? Uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, uh, it quotes Psalm 95, which was written a thousand years before that, and introduces with saying, uh, says that he, that is God, appoints uh, a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, it'll harden your hearts, right? God speaking through David. Right? No surprise there, huh? Right? God said through David, David's the human author, the spirit, God, is a divine author. God spoke through David, gave us Psalm 95, a thousand years before uh, Hebrews was written. But if you go to the previous chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 7, it introduces the same psalm with the words, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, it's not hard in your hearts. Right? So, yes, David said, God said, God said through David, yes. And at the same time, you can say the Holy Spirit says. Not just said, but says. Okay, Because Psalm 95 wasn't just a record of God's word in the past. The Holy Spirit continued to speak through that psalm. Even a thousand years later, uh, when Hebrews is written. So the first century, people, uh, and continues to speak through it now. And, he, and as the writer of the Hebrews says, God speaks. The Holy Spirit warns us today, if you hear his voice, to not harden your hearts. And so the Spirit is not just a divine author many years ago, but the Spirit continues to speak to us through the scriptures that he gave. Right? The Bible is the way it continues. The Spirit speaks to us today. He enables us to understand it and accept it as God's word. He gives us the will and the power to obey it. And so reading the Bible in faith, trusting in Jesus and seeking to obey him, that's a very spiritual exercise, isn't it? It's not like reading an email from someone far away or reading an ancient document from long ago. Now, when we think of the human author, yes, in a sense, there's something like that. But when we consider the divine author, there's another sense in which we read in the presence of the author himself. Uh, God speaks to us through the scriptures and we respond to him personally. And so the fact that the, 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 the Bible is God-breathed means it is God's word, it is God-spirited, born by God's spirit. And just as Jesus is both human and divine, the Bible is not only the words of men, but the word of God. Now, if the Bible is the word of God, then how we treat God's word is a reflection of how we treat him. Right? If you speak to me and I ignore your words, then actually what am I doing? I'm ignoring you. Uh, if I disobey your word, I'm disobeying you. If I twist your words to make it something that you didn't mean, I'm actually showing disrespect for you. If I say your words are wrong, I'm saying I know better than you. How we treat God, how we treat God's word, is how we treat him. And so when we come to the Bible, we must come with humility. It must be people who don't set ourselves up to, to judge God's word or even presume to disagree with it. Or we must work hard to read it properly in its context because we don't want to misunderstand him. We use, you must use our brains when we come to it because 
we have to love him with all our minds. We must always keep it here, right? Not down here. That is, we sit under the authority of God's word, right? It does not sit under us. We are judged by it. We do not judge it because God is our judge uh, and, and we are not his. Jesus is our Lord. He rules us. He exercises authority over us by his word. And so if he is number one in our lives, his word also must be the number one authority in our lives. Above reason, above experience, above tradition, above everything. All scriptures God breathed is the word of God. Now we saw earlier that the Bible shows us the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just do that. The Bible tells us what we need to know to live a godly life. I'll continue from verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. That is, it tells us who God is, tells us what life is about, how to relate to him, all kinds of things it teaches us. For reproof, tells us off when we do something wrong or we think something wrong or we teach something wrong. For correction, sets us back on the right path, right, both in terms of doctrine and of practice and conduct. Uh, and for training in righteousness, it instructs us, it molds us like, a, like children are brought up by their parents. The Word of God, the Bible, brings us up to live a righteous and godly life. And then it says that the man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Right? The Bible tells us all we need to live a life that is pleasing to God. All we need to know. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that God can't speak at all outside of Scripture. God can do whatever He likes. But it does mean that the normal way He speaks to us is through the Scriptures, and we don't need to look for anything else. The Bible is sufficient for us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We don't need extra revelations. We don't need new prophets to tell us what God wants from us, like, you know, in Mormonism or in Islam, they have new prophets. No, no. You want to be equipped for every good work, God has for you, read your Bible. Right? The Bible is sufficient. Now, that is actually terribly liberating, isn't it? Because it means we don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. We don't have to go on the circuit from conference to conference, from speaker to speaker, trying to find out what is God's word for us so we can get on with living our lives. No, no, no. It's, it's all here. The question is, whether not, it's not whether we can find God's will, it's whether we're willing to obey it. If you want to know what God's will is, read the Bible. I won't tell you, it probably won't tell you whether to have nasi lemak or roti chanai for breakfast tomorrow. Right? But it will tell you about the things that God sees as significant. significant right? Love and faithfulness and self-control. And, right? and if the Bible is not answering your questions, then maybe you need to change your questions. Uh, let God set the agenda uh, for what's important and what's not important. And actually, his word has plenty to say about lots of issues. And what it doesn't address directly, it gives us the principles to apply. And so whatever we need to know actually is here. If we've got to live a godly life, God has given it to us. So the Bible tells us what we need to know to be saved, what we need to know to live a godly life. Now, if the Bible is God's word by which he rules his people, if it is sufficient for salvation and for godly living, 
then the faithful proclamation of the Bible's message should be at the heart of faithful gospel ministry. And that is exactly what Paul tells Timothy in this final message to him. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. This is like a very, very solemn charge, right? This is the climax of his last letter to Timothy. This is his, what are you going to do, right? What is it? What is it? It says, preach the word. Preach the word. Be urgent or be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient, when it's not convenient, good times, bad times, when people are hungry for the word, when people are more indifferent to it, when you're free to do so, when there's persecution, it's difficult to do so, you preach the word. And through the word of God, reprove, show people their guilt, rebuke, warn those who are guilty, exhort them to repent, and remember to do that with complete patience. It takes time huh, to see the results of God's word working in people's hearts. Press on, he says, with teaching the word of God. For there will come a time, verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching. But another way of translating it is to say the time will come when healthy teaching will not be accepted as valid. Uh, you know what? In many churches today, especially in the West, if Jesus or the Apostle Paul came saying what they do about the Scriptures, they would be rejected as dangerous fundamentalists or dismissed as nuts. The gospel message about Jesus would be seen as narrow and bigoted. He's not the only way, just a good way for Christians. His death on the cross is just an example of being loving, which doesn't actually help us get right with God except to follow his example. His resurrection was just something that happened in the hearts of the disciples. It didn't really come out of the grave. And so Jesus won't come again. There's no judgment day. There's no hell. There's no right or wrong. If you say I'm wrong, you cause me pain, uh, that's wrong, you should be cancelled. The Bible's teaching on sex and marriage is hopelessly outdated. And those who hold to it are Neanderthals in a postmodern world. Now, I'm very thankful to God that our diocese, our province, has been spared from this kind of apostasy. But we can't be complacent. The Bible warns us the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, who will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Just this past week, the Anglican Church in Australia had their general synod. Uh, General Sin is like Parliament of the Anglican Church. Uh, like our Parliament has got Dewan Rakyat, uh, Dewan Negara. Right? Sin has got three houses. Uh, there's a house of laity, which is representatives of all the, the people in the church, uh, 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 from all the different churches. There's a house of clergy, which is representative of all the ordained ministers in the area, in, 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 in the province that they're in. And then there's a house of bishops, where the bishops of all the dioceses will sit. And uh, last week there was this motion that affirmed just a very basic biblical view of marriage. The motion was carried by the house of laity with a good majority. The motion was carried by the house of clergy with an even better majority. It was rejected 1210 by the house of bishops with two abstentions. Actually, it didn't change anything in the Anglican Church there, all right? Actually, it didn't change the doctrine or anything. 
but it just unmasked two things. First of all, on the ground, the Anglican Church in Australia, not such a terrible state as many other Western countries. Right? Majority still holding to the teachings of Christ on these matters. But secondly, it's also unmasked a terrible lack of godly leadership among the people who are appointed and consecrated to defend the faith and drive out false teaching. Harakan paga, paga makan pagi, padi, right? Uh, but that's just in Australia. Here, those particular issues are not the big issues now. Maybe in a few years, but not now. Now, okay. But over here, what is it like? Well, even in the Klang Valley, many preachers from many different churches, they'll come and they will wave the Bible at us. Right? And they'll say, this is the word of God. This is so important. And then they go and preach something else. Uh, most of them actually got good intentions. They actually do believe the Bible, unlike the Westerners. Right? They don't purposely, they won't purposely go against it. But somehow or other, they fail to preach it. Maybe they don't think it's sufficient. Maybe they don't realize that through the scriptures, men and women of God can be complete, equipped for every good work. Maybe they forget Paul's instructions to preach the word in season, out of season. They fall in the trap of, of preaching what they think people want to hear. And so they add their own ideas to the Bible. Maybe they quote the Bible verses out of context to back them up and all kinds of things like they go off. Friends, be careful when listening to such preachers. But in fact, be careful when listening to me or anyone else here. Right? Believe what I say only as far as I'm being faithful to the Word of God. And when I'm preaching the Word, take it in. If I'm preaching my own ideas, well, actually your ideas are as good as mine. I always check what I say against the Bible. Is Andrew preaching the Word of God? Is he telling us what the Bible says? Or is he just telling us what we want to hear? As for you, Paul says to Timothy in verse 5, always be sober-minded. Don't just jump on the latest fads and bandwagons that go around the religious world. Stay steady. Endure suffering. Understand. Sacrifices are necessary for the sake of the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist, preaching the gospel that Jesus is Lord, He died for our sins in our place, He rose again as King. Right? Do the work of an evangelist, preach the evangelion, the gospel. It's the work of an evangelist. Call people to repentance and faith in Jesus, and so fulfill your ministry. Friends, as a church, we want the faithful proclamation of God's Word to be at the heart of our ministry. As we meet together on Sundays, we always hear the Word of God read from both Testaments, Old and New. Just like the early church. When the early church met, what did they do? They read the Old Testament, and then they read the, the apostles' writings and letters and things. Okay, uh, We also la. read Old and New. Old Testament, Apostolic writings. Don't just read from one testament and then have a sermon. The public reading of Scripture, all the New Testaments, is something we should devote ourselves to. Never let go. And we hear God's Word not only read, but proclaimed in the sermon and applied to us. So we want to make sure that our sermons are a declaration of God's Word, not just a motivational speech by the preacher. 
Now that's why our preachers normally try to expound a passage, right, to, to show you where we get it from so that your confidence is in the Word of God, not in the preacher. So like in our Old Testament reading from Nehemiah today, remember that? God's people gathered around His Word, right? The law is read, and the leaders give the sense so that people understand the meaning. That's the idea. That's the goal of preaching at St. Mary's. People understand and apply God's Word. Uh, and we normally do that week by week as we're working through a book consecutively, right? Taking each passage and the next passage and the next passage and the next passage, right? Uh, so that we all learn together uh, and we get the context together. Uh, including the preacher himself, who instantly probably learns more than anyone else because they've got to study the passage really hard. Uh, uh, and, and the Bible sets the agenda for what we're preaching about. Right? Preachers can't just preach what we feel like preaching. And we can't avoid things that we don't like preaching. I've got to preach whatever's there. And you can see whether we're doing that or not. That's called expository preaching. And we do that at St. Mary's because... We want to take God's Word with the utmost seriousness. But it's not just the Bible readings and preachings. Right? Our service is actually full of Scripture, if you know how to look. The, the things that we say is full of Scripture. Our songs and hymns often either base on Scripture or take some truth of Scripture uh, and put it to song. Right? We don't like singing songs that are meaningless, but ones that are full of biblical content. And so that as we speak and as we sing, we're speaking the truths of the Bible to each other and to God. And it's not just in our Sunday services, weddings, funerals, whatever we can, we are ready to preach the Word. And not just in our services, in our small groups. What do we want to be doing? We'll be studying the Bible. And that's an opportunity actually for us to be teaching each other, isn't it? Again, we're not meant to be teaching our own ideas to each other, but to help each other understand and apply the Scriptures. Right? That's why our small group leaders might say, hey, um, where did you find that in the text? Right? Uh, or they might say, uh, where did you get that from? Or, or look at the text, what does it say? So, so you're not just taking ideas, from, but actually showing where you got it from, from here. Of course, different groups will do it differently. Not everyone studies at the same intellectual level. Right? But some way or other, the Bible is at the heart of all our small groups. And we use the scriptures to encourage and build each other up. So whether it's in our growth groups, our women's Bible study groups, whether it's in Christianity Explored or just for starters, whether it's seminars or daily office or even in one-to-one -one ministry, right, the Word of God is at the heart of what we do. And it's not just the proclamation and sharing of God's Word that's important. Actually, it's important for us to read and reflect on God's Word for ourselves. Uh, someone, which we read just now, describes the blessed man and says that his delight is in the law of the law, that on his law he meditates day and night. And then it says he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, of course, ultimately the blessed man is Jesus. Lah, but we're to be like him as well, aren't we? And if we love God's word and we meditate on it day and night, then we'll be spiritually nourished like a tree that draws on the streams of water. There's so many different ways we could make the Bible part of our daily life, you know? Why don't, can I ask you, why don't we ask each other after the service, right? Or in your small groups or whatever meeting you have this week over lunch or whatever, just what are some of the different ways that you found to be helpful? Right? I suspect that different people will find different ways of doing it and even the same person over time will do it different ways. So share how you find, help each other think about how you find it helpful.
right, to read, read the Bible each day. And if you're not in the Bible reading habit each day, then I suggest maybe you want to start. You just start with one of the four Gospels first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pray before you read. Ask God to speak to you. Read with reverence because it's God's Word. And then when you finish reading, just think, is there something from here that I can pray back to God? Something I can respond to God in prayer. Okay? Some people like to make notes. Some people don't like to make notes. Some people like to write down questions so they can ask people in church when they come on Sunday. Uh, some people don't. It doesn't matter. All right? But just consider starting uh, a habit of reading the Bible and praying back to God what you have read. Okay, so we've seen how faithful Bible teaching is at the heart of gospel ministry. And we've also seen how that the Bible is sufficient in the sense that it tells us all that we need to know. Uh, so my final point might be a little bit of a surprise, but it's this. Faithful Bible teaching is not sufficient. Right? Faithful Bible teaching is not sufficient. And for two reasons. First of all, the whole point of the Bible is not an end in itself. It is meant to point us to Jesus. Now come with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus is talking with the religious leaders. And in verse 39, he scolds them. Right? He's, what does he say? He says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Right? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? They make Bible study an end in itself. Friends, Bible study is not an end in itself. Okay? These Jewish leaders, they were experts in Bible study. They knew the Old Testament back to front. But they never read it in such a way that it showed them Jesus. The whole part of the Old Testament is to point to Him. They never came to Him. Jesus says down in verse 46, He says, If you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote of me. But you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They thought they believed the Old Testament. But actually they didn't. Because the Old Testament speaks to Jesus and they didn't believe Him. The Bible itself doesn't give anyone eternal life. The Bible points to Jesus so that we can come to Him. And when we come to Him, He gives us eternal life. Right? The Bible is sufficient because the Bible tells us all that we need to know to really know Jesus and to have faith in Him. But the Bible is not sufficient to give us salvation in itself. We are not saved by Bible knowledge, but by faith in Jesus. And so, faithful Bible teaching in the end must be gospel-centered. Whenever we read the Bible, whenever we preach the Bible, whenever we teach the Bible, in the end, it should bring people to Jesus. We need to keep coming to Jesus, to whom the Bible faithfully points, and trust Him, and love Him, and obey Him. Anything else is inadequate. The Bible is not to be an end in itself, but it's meant to bring us to Jesus. And secondly, the Bible is not just meant to be studied, but obeyed. Right? Uh, last week we saw how we need to keep on growing in Christ. And the Bible was part of that. The body grows together as we speak the truth in love. But the truth is not just head knowledge. Right? There is no spiritual merit in knowing lots of Bible trivia. God's Word is meant to impact our hearts so that we love God and long to obey Him. 
It is meant to impact our behavior so that our love is expressed in thoughts and deeds and words. Jesus said, those who hear his words and do them are like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Those who hear his words and do not do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and that will not survive the storm. Hearing the word, reading the word, even studying the word is not sufficient. The Bible is not just to be studied, but to be obeyed. So sisters and brothers, the Bible is the word of God which points us to Jesus. So let us trust in Jesus and obey his word that we might grow together to maturity in him. And let's make sure that the faithful teaching of the Bible to that end continues to be at the heart of our ministry. Let's pray. I'm going to lead us in praying a collect from the Book of Common Prayer. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of the everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ.